0: Every once in a while, I've heard the criticism from folks that uh, Christians at times are too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. I've thought about that. Um, You know, Christianity is not a series of principles like Confucianism or some other world religions. Christianity is a narrative story, a story with a loving God in the center of it, and we are all invited to find our places in that story. That means paying attention to the rhythms and the major themes of that story across generations is important to Christians. Of all people, we ought to be the people who are of most earthly good, because our story tells us that the earth is good that it's a wonderful gift that's been given to us, and that we've been charged to be careful stewards of that earth. I think we ought to be the primary ecologists, anxious to do good both to the planet and to all of the inhabitants of this wonderful place where God has placed us. But we learn lots of different things from our story. This is not only a story of creation, it's a story of loss. It's a story of compassion. It's a story of redemption and recreation. A story that comes from somewhere and is going onward to some place. And this morning, I'd like to look at a pattern and a promise. We start back in the book of Isaiah in the 40th chapter. Sometime after 586 BC, Israel is in a mess. They haven't embraced the covenant for several generations. They've chosen their own pathways. God allows this, but does not deliver them from the consequences of their sinfulness and their self-absorbed choices. When Israel can no longer reflect the image of God, when Israel misrepresents God to the world, when Israel worships other gods and ignores the covenant, then God allows the consequences of their sin to overtake them. His love for them isn't any less. He hasn't abandoned them, but he either can't or won't protect them from themselves, and off into exile they go. First Assyria, then Babylon come to uproot Israel. Her land is taken. The city of Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is despoiled. But after some time, God calls again. And this is Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term that her penalty is paid that she has received from the lord's hand double for all her sins a voice in the wil- a voice cries out in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make straight in the desert a highway for our god every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The opportunity to return, to start fresh all over again is given by a God who keeps his promises. Comfort is being preached after exile. The people are given the opportunity to return to the land. And they do and things are better for a while but it isn't long before the cycle repeats again this time God in Christ deals decisively with Israel they've been conquered again and again and before long now it's the Romans who are the new oppressors who keep Israel in bondage and this time God in Christ offers a way of return. You remember the parable in the New Testament of the vineyard owner. There's a certain vineyard owner owns this vineyard, rents it out to tenants. It comes time to collect his percentage of the profits. He sends messengers to the vineyard to collect the rent that's due. And the people who are the tenants decide they don't want to pay that rent. After all, they did all this work. And so they just beat up the messengers and send them back. And this happens a couple of times, and finally the owner of the vineyard says, well, if they won't respect my messengers, I'll send my son. And he will speak with my authority, and they will recognize my authority in him, and they'll pay the rent, and we'll have this matter resolved. And so the vineyard owner sends his son to the tenants, and the tenants, in the craziness of their thinking, just kill the son and think to themselves, by killing the heir, we will inherit the vineyard. But we all know that's not how property rights work. What they're thinking, I don't understand. But the vineyard owner just has those folks removed because you can't just kill the son and think you're going to get away with that. It was a bad idea. No sinful, despicable thing the tenants do will ever place them in charge of the vineyard. No foolish thing that humanity does will ever put us in charge of our own destiny. That's not how property rights work. That's not how human history works. And so, in the Gospels, we hear the story again that Jesus, God in Christ, Comes once again the father has sent the son now the owner sending his son to make a way for humanity to return yet again this is what Matthew 3 says in those days John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea proclaiming repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptist is the voice of Isaiah in the spirit of Elijah. And he is telling them, he is proclaiming in the wilderness that Jesus is the way back again for Israel. But now also for the whole world. This is our chance to return to the Father again. This is our chance to set things right. This is our chance at a new life. And as John the Baptist proclaims this, many do return to God. We remember the prophecy made to Zechariah last Sunday, right? He will return the hearts of many to God. And that prophecy is fulfilled in John's life. Many do return to God. Many do find him. Many do accept the ability to be reconciled to God because of who is coming. But this cycle seems to go on forever, this cycle of return and abandon, return and abandon. Because though many return to God, it doesn't seem to last all that long. Humanity turns once again to their own ways. And God doesn't protect us from the consequences of our decisions. And here we are, in the mess we are in, all because we refuse to love God and love our neighbor. But there's a difference in this iteration of the cycle. And that is, rather than the door closing and us just bearing the consequences of our poor decisions, the door stays open this time because the Holy Spirit has been sent to walk with all those who continue to believe and who continue to choose to follow God. This is a new solution. This is something new under the sun. In the past, the nation of Israel, well, they chose as a whole, and they were dealt with as a whole, For the most part, it was a a covenant made with the nation, not made with individuals. But this new opportunity that's initiated through Jesus Christ, it gives us birth into something different. Now that the Holy Spirit has been given, we can choose as individuals to join the invisible kingdom of God, that unshakable kingdom that we are receiving. That kingdom that is coming and is coming sooner than ever while society spirals out of control around us we can choose to live our days as citizens of the kingdom of God with primary allegiance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords we can make this choice as individuals not that we can live out this choice as individuals Because when we receive the kingdom, we step into a community, which is the kingdom of God. And so we have to live this out in the fellowship of all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. But if we will walk in his ways, if we will listen to his voice, if we will honor his example and live lives of obedience to him, we can know the pleasure of God and have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit throughout our days regardless of what happens to us and regardless of what happens around us. We live as citizens of an unshakable kingdom in the middle, surrounded by an external kingdom that's decaying on every side of us. But we don't lose hope because we're anchored in the eternal kingdom and we live as citizens of this kingdom if we, by faith, have received the gracious offer of Jesus Christ to become his child and step into the kingdom of God. And so we always ask ourselves this time of year, have we stepped into the kingdom of God? It, it matters. It Everything hangs on that decision. But we should understand the minute we step into the kingdom of God, we're on a journey Of transformation this isn't just a change of address this is a change of everything has become new everything has become different the way we live in that kingdom is completely different if we live if we attempt to live in the new kingdom the way we lived in the old kingdom then how is God going to protect us from the consequences of our sin we have to forsake that sin in order to be shielded from the consequences of that sin And so as we step into the kingdom, we live in new ways and we invite the Holy Spirit to help us, to transform us, to make us new so that we can reject the patterns of the past which led to all the chaos to begin with and which increasingly leads to the decay of this external society around us. And we start on this journey with the Holy Spirit to make things new for us. You say, that's not new. We, we know we're supposed to be on this journey of transformation. I mean, we know that, right? I mean, we, t- we teach our kids that, right? That this is about transformation, about, about change, about new, about challenging those parts of ourself that are worn out and dying and pushing towards new life and, and the reflection of the glory of God about making decisions that are consistent with the example that he lived upon. He lived while he was on the earth with us, following that example by the help of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we understand that this new kingdom is about transformation. It's about transformation because the whole goal of this kingdom is to take us somewhere. I mean, we're moving in a direction toward a someplace, right? We came from somewhere, we're headed somewhere, and life in the kingdom really is the travel group that's headed towards a very particular destination. This time of year, we like to sing Christmas carols. We sing away in a manger, right? Do you ever catch the last verse of this, away in the manger hymn? Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay. Stay. Close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear dear children in thy tender care and fit us for heaven to live with thee there. Did you hear that line? Fit us for heaven. What are we teaching our kids there? We're teaching our kids that we need to change. We need to be customized. We need to be altered, shaped. We need to be fit for heaven. That's transformation. That's transformation towards this particular goal. And it begs the question, are you being fit for heaven? I've heard the line. I've uttered it myself from time to time. This is just who I am. You have to to just deal with me on these terms, right? That's like anti being fit for heaven, right? This is like, I'll just compromise and say, hey, this is how I can't do any different. That is to make a statement that says, I do not believe that God can change me. That's not a position we want to be in. We don't want to be at the place where we say, this is who I am, and you have to deal with it. The issue is Jesus is saying, that's who you are, and I'd like to deal with it. Because you can be better than this. You can be more than this by my grace and by my strength. But if I'm not willing to acknowledge that there's any need for transformation, I never get to the place where I can be fit for heaven. And that is the goal of this life, to be fit for heaven to be transformed into the image of Christ, to reflect the glory of God. And it is an expression of extreme poverty to, be, to, be, to say, well, this is who I am. God wants better than that for us. Here's the problem. Now that God has provided a new solution to this ongoing cycle of repentance, Return, abandonment, and sinfulness again that Israel went through many times. Once we have a new solution, once Jesus has come and the Holy Spirit has been given, there is no next solution. This is the last one. This is the penultimate chord in the song. The next song we sing. Is the day of the Lord listening to the trumpet announce his return? That's why we say Jesus came, he has come to us, and he is coming again. And Advent is all about the coming of Christ, right? And so we are being fit for heaven because walking with the Holy Spirit is God's last invitation to us as a race and as individuals. And so it becomes critical that we embrace this idea of being fit for heaven. There are no more chances available. God doesn't have another son to send. This is all there is. And the next time Jesus returns, it will be to collect his family. It will be to end time. It will be to Pass judgment, it will be to usher in a new world. The pattern that we've seen repeat again and again it is ending. There is coming a day when all things will be made new. The old will be completely gone. The pain and grind of this world will be over, and everything will be new and whole and fresh. And on that day, Jesus collects the family that he has by the work of the Holy Spirit fit for heaven, and we're with the Lord forever. And so in Advent, every time we celebrate it, we have this hope. Jesus came. He's come to our hearts. He's transforming us, fitting us for heaven, and he is coming again. And he's coming again for you and for me that we can be with the Lord forever. Don't miss the solution that Christ offers you today, the solution to step into his family. Please don't miss the last line of a way in a manger, acknowledging that we must be fit for heaven and embracing the transformation that the Holy Spirit desires to accomplish in us by His grace. He's not asking you to transform yourself. He's asking you just to admit the need for transformation and to invite Him to help you do it. And if you will do just that much, dare to believe that you can be different. Dare to believe that the Holy Spirit can help you be different. And then do your best to walk in obedience to what the Spirit says. You also will be fit for heaven. And heaven's closer than we know, isn't it? It is. When we say Maranatha, we're saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. I don't want him to come before I'm fit for heaven. And so I want to make sure I do everything today that I can to be certain that I am so that I can pray, come, Emmanuel, come. The season is hectic, and it occurs to me that the minute we step out of these doors, we will be caught up in the whirlwind of Christmas again. So it seems prudent to me for us to linger here just a moment to consider what the Spirit might be saying to us in our hearts. And it may be in the moment that follows that you would like to kneel at this altar to pray. You might want to kneel at your seat and pray and either step into the kingdom by asking the Father to enter your life or pledge yourself to transformation to a journey that enables you to be fit for the kingdom and for heaven. And so I'm going to sing a chorus in a moment. And if you'd like to do any of those things, you may. But we're going to loiter for a moment and give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to speak to
1: us. Be still and know that I am God. the Lord for you are
0: Jesus, it is our desire to be fit for heaven, and so we invite your Spirit to come, to search our heart, to see if there is any offensive way in us, and to lead us in your way to everlasting life. Come, Lord Jesus, come, renew us. Make us more like you. And now to him who is faithful to complete the journey he has begun in you. To him be glory in the church and in all of your lives. Amen.